Good evening. In the news tonight, the United States is entering an ominous new phase in the coronavirus pandemic, says the coordinator of the president's coronavirus task force. Public school teachers are marching at this very moment in lower Manhattan against Mayor de Blasio's plan for partially reopening New York City's public schools in September. And anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers across the United States are cashing in on the Paycheck Protection Program. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. The coordinator of the Trump administration's coronavirus task force is sounding the alarm after 1.9 million new cases of COVID-19 were confirmed in July. Deborah Burke said on Sunday that the U.S. had entered an ominous new phase of the pandemic. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. President Trump, who has presided over the coronavirus disaster while pretending it isn't happening, responded on Monday by tweeting that Burks was, quote, pathetic. The coronavirus's deadly toll has not prevented politicians across the country from trying to at least partially reopen public schools, including here in New York City. On Friday, Mayor de Blasio filled in more details to his hybrid plan for students to divide their time between classroom instruction and online learning. He insisted that safety is his foremost concern. So look, we have to remember, nothing is more important in New York City than protecting our kids, helping our kids grow, helping them learn. They are our future in every sense. Every family feels that. That's the path we've been on over seven years. That's what we're going to keep doing. Hundreds of New York City public school teachers are protesting at this very moment in lower Manhattan, demanding that the city pause its plans to reopen the schools until they are fully safe to return to. Here's a teacher from Grace Dodge Campus in the Bronx describing what teachers are protesting for today. We're marching to demand no return to in-person school until it's safe, substantial and continuous financial relief from the city, state, and federal government for working families, guardians, and all workers, inclusive, inclusive of undocumented immigrants, that our public schools are adequately funded according to the Campaign for Fiscal Equity formula, and nothing about us without us. Parents, students, and school staff must be fully empowered and included in the planning for eventual school reopening. And equitable remote learning that includes opportunities for outdoor education, in-person instruction, and therapeutic services delivery for prioritized student populations. We'll have more about the growing opposition to reopening New York City's public schools after the break. In other COVID-19 news, The Guardian is reporting that anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers across the United States received at least $4 million and possibly more than $10 million in forgivable federal loans as part of the government's first coronavirus bailout package called the Paycheck Protection Program. Crisis pregnancy centers often operate out of storefronts with the look and feel of full-service reproductive health clinics. However, the organizations often provide sham medical treatments such as so-called abortion reversal pills, and and they oppose modern birth control methods and exaggerate the medical risks of abortion to persuade women not to have them. And finally, here in New York, on Saturday, hundreds of black trans sex workers rallied in Times Square to demand that the state of New York repeal laws that they say unfairly criminalize them for, quote, walking while trans. (laughs) 
We'll be back with more after the break. There's already so much pain, so much pain, so much pain. There's already so much pain, and there ain't nothing else we can do. Hey, she Coming through right here, through right here, through right here. We got tanks coming through right here, and there ain't nothing else we can do. All together, we got tanks coming through right here, through right here, through right here. That was Fight by Wyatt Wendell. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indy's editor-in-chief. For tonight's show, we'll take a look at the growing controversy around Mayor de Blasio's plans to reopen New York City's 1,800 public schools in about a month from now. At this very moment, hundreds of public school teachers are rallying in front of the Teachers' Union headquarters at 52 Broadway and they plan to uh, march uh, on the Department of Education headquarters uh, up the street. Uh, right now we have uh, indie reporter Amba Gergarian out in the field at uh, the protest. Uh, Amba, are you there? Yes, I'm here, John. Great. So uh, you know, we, we have just a little bit of time here, but can you, uh, can you uh, describe the scene uh, there right now uh, at, at the protest? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about four to 500 people supporting rank and file teachers and educators and parents as well. And many other rank and file workers are here speaking in solidarity. Um, and they're basically saying that schools reopening is not safe. It's not just, it's not equitable. And it's going to be very traumatic for students and people will die. Uh, they're threatening to strike. Um, and we just, are walking from the headquarters to the Tweed Courthouse right now. Um, lots of energy. There's drums. There are different um, different ways of demonstration. Some people have a guillotine that has the DOE um, killing people that are having to be forced to go to school, teachers and students. Um, we have some graves here um, with uh, the death reaper or the grim reaper just as the doe so um there's a lot of energy on the street. So, right it sounds like people are really worried about what's uh, in store if they have to go back uh into the classrooms in september uh Amba, people are thank very you worried they have oh yep yeah so people are... all righty well thank you for the, the the report from the field and we'll we'll uh be following uh this on social media as well uh Amba gagarin of the independent Again, thank you for joining us uh, this evening and giving us that uh, update from the uh, Teachers March that's uh, underway right now, uh, heading up Broadway from the UFT uh, Union headquarters 
up to uh, the Tweed Courthouse where the Department of Education is is housed. Okay. And uh, we'll be back with uh, more, more coverage in a moment. So much pain, so much pain, so much pain. There's already so much pain, and there ain't nothing else we can do. Hey, see you later. There's already so much pain, so much pain, so much pain. Tanks coming through right here, through right here, through right here. We got tanks coming through right here, and there ain't nothing else we can do. All together, That was more of a fight by Wyatt Wendell. This is uh, John Tarleton, uh, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent. We're back on the WBAI uh, Evening News. Uh, today we launched the uh, August issue of The Independent, hit the streets around the city in uh, news boxes and select the libraries that have uh, reopened. And our cover story is about this uh, this very uh, uh, controversy around the reopening of the, of the schools, whether it's a wise idea or not. The, uh, the title of our cover story is COVID Goes to Class. The mayor is eager to have kids return to the classroom in September, but is it safe? And the, the piece was written by the Indies education correspondent, Katia Schwenk, who joins us this evening. Katia, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. Yes. So your your article really uh, hones in on the perspective in particular of uh, of uh, different workers uh, who would have to carry out this reopening from uh, from teachers to administrators as well as uh, custodial workers uh, can you can you talk just talk about the the article and and, and uh, you know how it unfolded and, and what you learned in more than a month of uh, diving into this story yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I spent the last month talking to, like you said, not just teachers, not just families, but also school administrators, um, custodial workers, people who are working, you know, in advocacy groups and organizers. And I think, you know, everyone has their own concerns, but I think there is such a such a agreement that, um, you know, for everyone. Uh, school and opening there are some serious worries about uh, opening schools in the fall um and so i mean i think you know like like you said like custodial workers for example are concerned about the department of education's promises um for cleaning um teachers are concerned about um whether or not their classes are going to be safe they're worried about whether they can get medical exemptions you know in the fall families are worried about the safety of their students so yeah i mean and i think everyone feels that there are a lot of questions left unanswered by the department of education and that's something i really delved into in the story as well and it seems like a starting point uh for a lot of this concern is actually what happened last march when the mayor was very slow to close down uh the school system and new york is one of the last major cities in the country to close down its school system and and Later, 74 Department of, Educator, De- Department of Education educators died during the pandemic this spring. So 
would you say there's been a, a loss of trust in 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 the in the mayor from the rank and file that have to do the work in the classroom and in the schools? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think no one has forgotten March. You know, especially teachers and people working. Um, in schools who, you know, really, you know, as they've told me, felt that they had to sort of take matters into their own hands um, when it came to the last few days before schools closed. Um, and it was really this kind of thrive organized action that was one of the major things that prompted the mayor to close schools. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, like you said, 74 employees of the Department of Education um, died of the coronavirus. I think a lot of people attribute that or at least some of that to the failure to close schools, you know, when other districts around the state were closing and schools around the country were closing. Um, and, you know, the other thing about that is I think that um, teachers really felt like their actions um, their threats to have a stick out, their, you know, petitioning of the mayor and of city of the Department of Education, they felt that those were, you know, made something that was really effective at that time. And I think now what we're seeing um, are teachers coming together again and looking towards the past and looking at the chaos of the spring, but also looking at what they were able to achieve during the spring um, and thinking about ways to resist, you know, um, unsafe schools in the fall. Mm. And, and you're right. They're literally on the march right now, heading up uh, Broadway to the DOE headquarters, uh, hundreds of them. Yeah. And um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the the custodial uh, uh, union that you, you had a chance to interview the president of the of local 891, which represents uh, hundreds of custodial workers in the in the school system? What did you learn from talking to them? Yeah, so I spoke with um, Robert Choller of the, of, yes, of the Custodial Engineers Union. Um, and, you know, I mean, what he said and what custodial workers and school staff are saying all around the city is really enlightening, which, you know, the Department of Education, I mean, one of the more important parts of its plan is, you know, the question of how to keep schools safe in the fall. Um, and one of the things they're promising is all of this additional cleaning. So they're saying there's going to be nightly deep cleaning of the schools, additional cleaning during the day. They're saying they're delivering, you know, extra supplies, um, electrostatic sprayers and other, like, mechanized cleaning equipment. Um, but, you know, what uh, Mr. Troller said to me was, you know, the Department of Education is asking you know, a huge increase in the capacity of our staff. You know, he estimated about 25% more time cleaning. And because of the hiring freeze right now, the city is not going to be able to hire any more custodians, not going to be able to replace any custodians who are retiring, who are quitting, who have to quarantine from buildings. Um, and what he told me, you know, I think is really grave, which is that he doesn't feel like the Department of Education's plans right now, given the resources and funding, will be able to be carried out, you know, as they're saying in the fall, um, just due to this, you know, shortage of custodians who are also putting their lives on the line, um, you know, to keep schools safe and who are also taking a great risk and, you know, going out. So, yeah, I mean, I felt I think that's very concerning. Yeah, that that's uh, that's something to really keep an eye on. Uh, Katia Schwenk, thank you for joining us on the WBAI Evening News uh, today, and, and great work on your article, and I encourage everybody out there to, to read the article. 
or whether they pick it up on the street or read it online at independent.org. Thank you so much, John. You bet. All right, we'll be back after this break. We'll have a chance to talk with a teacher, an organizer with uh, with the movement for rank and file educators, which is playing a leading role in uh, in really driving this conversation around uh, whether it's safe to reopen the schools in September. Maybe this walk is everything. Talk so much no more. Always painting the picture twice, be sure. Oh, how that mental chatter. That was, that was Georgia Ann Muldrow performing Jayoti this walk from her new album, Mama, You Can Bet. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Uh, we have a new issue out uh, on the streets, uh, hit the streets today, and our, our focus... Uh, in that issue is the question of uh, re- uh, whether we should be uh, reopening the, the schools in September. A lot of controversy around that. And our next guest is uh, Alexandra Herodopoulos. She's a, a English as a new language teacher at the Grace uh, the Grace Dodge uh, campus in the Bronx, and also is a union delegate there, and is a member of the movement of rank and file educators, which is the social justice caucus of the. Uh, teachers union and uh, she's also a member of the health justice working group so she's really been involved in a lot of these uh, questions and a lot of the organizing uh, alexandra welcome to the wbai evening news thank you so much for having me you bet so can you say talk about what you see as the main reasons as, as a teacher at, at your at your campus that you're opposed to returning to the classroom and, and the city reopening its schools at in september 
Yeah, uh, so there are so many reasons I'm concerned about uh, schools reopening. I'll just start by giving some history of how trust was broken, um, which was spoken to a little bit by your last guest. Um, At the Grace Dodge campus, we had a positive case before schools officially closed. That was a COVID lab test from the Montefiore Hospital. However, um, it was deemed as self-reported and therefore not officially reported to the Department of Health. Um, we later found out that the Mayor de Plazio's office had asked super, uh, supervisors not to report positive cases to the Department of Health, and that is why the school remained open for those next 24 hours. So uh, first and foremost, we need to rebuild trust between DOE staff, families, and community members because we have not forgotten how they neglected our health back in March. And we need to be at the table making these reopening plans with Mayor de Blasio. Um, Right. mm -hmm. Now, uh, Mayor de Blasio on Friday, uh, he announced some additional standards that he would apply to uh, the reopening of the schools in terms of uh, the percentage of people in uh, in the city who are testing positive would have to be as uh, at three percent or lower, and also some uh, standards about when and how they would quarantine uh, sick anybody who be, uh, is detected as sick at, at school. Um, we're going to listen to a sot here uh, real quick uh, from the mayor uh, describing uh, his approach to what he says are going to be extremely rigorous standards. We're going to have an extremely rigorous standard for opening schools or, if necessary, closing schools because we are putting health and safety first. So what are we doing? You've heard some of it before. We're using blended learning. Kids in school when they can be in school, remote when they can't. Remote learning for any child, any family that prefers remote learning all the time. Social distancing guidelines in every part of the school, in the classroom and every other part of the school. Face coverings for everyone, Uh, free priority testing for everyone in the school community, making sure that teachers, kids, staff all have the personal protective equipment for free. So uh, your thoughts, uh, has the mayor maybe learned something from from March and is is, uh, more on top of things now? Yeah, um, so this is a really layered issue, and uh, I'm not going to claim to be a public health uh, expert. At the end of the day, I'm an ENL social studies teacher, but no, uh, I don't think that the mayor has learned uh, his lesson from March. This 3% number that he's talking about um, being the threshold for when schools will close uh, just doesn't work in the most densely populated city in the country. Uh, You have students living in overcrowded homes. You have uh, them traveling more than an hour to get to school. They're passing hundreds of people just to get to school. So the minute the virus uh, spreads again, it will escalate quickly. So this is not a risk that we want to take. He has already prioritized the economy over schools reopening. We were not willing to take any more chances now. And, and do you think remote learning uh, can work? I, I know a lot of teachers and a lot of students and, and families had a lot of frustration with that in the spring when when you know, things uh, flipped over. 
Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked about that because teachers really feel between a rock and a hard place. We don't want to be defending remote learning. We know that it is no substitute for in-person learning. And at its worst, it's been criminalizing, further criminalizing for black and brown students. So we are not you know, joyful about this. We are not looking forward to reopening in remote, but unfortunately it is our only safe option. We wish that the mayor had spent this summer improving remote learning plans rather than this bogus hybrid situation so that maybe we could make it a bit more tolerable. Um, but I'll just say that remote learning could work if he provided paid parental leave to families. Remote learning could work if he really dedicated uh, resources to ending the di digital divide. Remote learning could work if Wi-Fi was a public resource. Remote learning could work if we had more affordable housing in the city and students were not living in overcrowded homes. My students were doing their homework at midnight because that was the only time that there was quiet time in their home. So remote learning was a failure because of other structural issues in the city that the mayor, the mayor's tenure has not done anything to alleviate. Mm. And uh, going back to your, your school building where, where you teach at, uh, can you talk about that? I, mean, I understand it's an older building that has a lot of issues, and then also just the way the space in the building is uh, allocated is also problematic for as far yes, as the idea of doing social distancing. Totally, yeah. Um, so like many of the buildings in New York City, excuse me, school buildings in New York City, they are incredibly old. They were built in the 1920s and 30s. So their infrastructure has been crumbling before coronavirus. I was afraid to walk into my classroom every day because it has asbestos. I've literally been teaching and had the ceiling fall in. I've found dead rats in my classroom. So I've heard my students complain about lack of soap, uh, sanitary pads, um, and paper towels and toilet paper in their bathrooms. So we've been lacking basic sanitation for years and the coronavirus has only exposed these inequities. You know, you don't find these in uh, privileged uh, upper middle class areas in the city. You don't find these same issues. Um, and yeah, prioritizing space for students is going to be a real challenge because since Mayor, D Mayor Bloomberg uh, broke up the big comprehensive uh, schools in the city, there has been an accumulation or an increase in administrative positions and therefore an increase in administrative offices. There's also been an increase in uh, office space for the NYPD in schools. So in order to really prioritize students' health and safety, we need more space for our guidance counselors and our social workers who right now, I know in my school, don't have a private office to see their students. And in my opinion, they're the most important people in our school. Students haven't been safe. You know, as much as remote learning was uh, really, really difficult, students haven't been safe in public school buildings for a long time. The NYPD is not a presence, is not a safe presence, is not a welcoming presence when students walk into the door, and it only further promotes the school-to-prison pipeline. So we need to redistribute not only that money, but that physical space so that our counselors can have room and our students can have room if we go back under these conditions, and regardless if we do or not. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Alexandra Herodopoulos, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Evening News tonight. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, so we're going to wrap it up here in a minute, but 
uh, before we leave, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and keep shows like this on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602 or going straight to give to WBAI.org. Again, that's 516-620-3602. You can sign up as a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. Last of all, a big thank you to Amba Gagarian, Renee Feltz, and Leah Duran for their help with this evening's show. You can follow the latest from The Independent at independent.org. And uh, we'll be back same time next week. Thank you for joining us. They got tanks coming through right here, through right here, through right here. They got tanks coming through right here, and there ain't nothing else we can do. All together, they got tanks coming through right here, through right here, through right here. They got tanks coming through right here, and there ain't nothing else we can do but to This is 